Good morning, Cody, and welcome to the Low Carb Paleo Show. Thanks for having me. Good morning. It's our pleasure. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Wonderful, thank you. Can't complain. Well, you know the rules. Nobody, nobody listens when you complain, so why bother? <laughs> right, so Cody, you are the CEO of Grassroots Farmers. As I came across your great meat products at Paleo FX 2019 and fell in love, so we had to talk to you. So regarding your background, can you tell us about your professional background before and as you got into this business? Sure, yeah. Well, um, I'm a native Arkansan, grew up in rural Arkansas, um, grew up on a small family farm, but we didn't really farm for profit. It was, uh, um, you know, but, but I grew up really experiencing um, nature, farm life, and, but, you know, ended up, you know, as many kids in rural America, uh, thought that I wanted to leave and go off to the city and and not come back. And so I uh, went off and got a degree in physics and then uh, got a job in the Northeast teaching high school physics and math at a college prep high school and uh, moved away and, and did that for several years and sort of sprinkled along that journey. Um, I had a couple of different food experiences that really started, um, you know, pushing me to uh, or developing an interest in high quality food and looking at food not only as an amazing um, you know, experience, but also as uh, medicine in a lot of ways. And so while living in the Northeast, I, I worked at a, a restaurant, that, a James Beard award-winning restaurant uh, that was really kind of ahead of its time. This was in the early 2000s before the local food movement had really gotten much steam here in the U.S. Yeah. And and had a couple experiences where I ate, uh, you know, I didn't really like tomatoes, but I ate a tomato there that just blew my mind. The flavor was so good. And every night before dining service, we would go over the menu and they would talk about, you know, uh, make sure everyone knew where, you know, which farm the food came from and yeah. the production methodology of how those farms were raising the the uh, whether it was the corn or the pork or whatever it might be and you know, that really stuck with me and uh, you know after a couple of years of living up there I was I had decided that you know actually I really missed Arkansas and was eager to move back home and so I uh, moved back to rural Arkansas um, continued my passion for a developing passion in food managed a small bakery in the Ozark Mountains here in Arkansas and was itching to do something that was a little bit more you know, tied to the land. And uh, you know, I grew up on a small farm, about 40 acres, and you know, it was something that, that you know, I just really wanted to get back to my roots, I guess is the way to put it. And about that time, I met my now wife, who uh, was, had just graduated college and was in, you know, grew up in the area where I was working at the bakery. And we um, started, you know, we both had this interest and were heavily influenced by a book we read by Michael Pollan, The Omnivore's mm -hmm. Dilemma. Yeah. And I read about some farmers doing, you know, uh, some really innovative livestock farming where they were farming with the land, improving the quality of the land, producing these amazing, uh, the amazing quality meats and, uh, and then going directly to the customer to, uh, 
to sell those products and developing a relationship with the customer. And so it just, um, you know, that's kind of the, the Cliff Notes version of uh, my professional background and how it kind of led, it, led us, led me and then you know, my now wife into, into farming. Right, right. So, um, as I understand, grassroots farmers is not just you. It's a uh, um, combined uh, different farmers growing mm -hmm. different, you know, animals or yeah. products. And uh, can you explain the the principle of the business? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, grassroots is actually a farmer cooperative. So it is a group of farmers working together formally as a cooperative to um, to share certain aspects. So they're individually independent farms that share, uh, you know, we work together, we develop our you know, consistent standards, we all use the same production techniques, same feed, and as a group we, uh, you know, we work together to um, to sell our products um, under the grassroots brand. And so, and what that was born out of really was when we launched our farm in 2007, my wife and I from the beginning wanted to be not just a for-profit farm, but we wanted to help educate other farmers on those production practices that were good for the land, good for the animals, and produced a superior quality and, and uh, from both a, a flavor and health standpoint standpoint uh, product and so um, you know we it was part of our mission from the beginning to help to work with other farmers and help other farmers succeed and what we realized as we started trying to grow our farm business was the uh, the infrastructure that used to exist to support small family farms around the country no longer exists uh, the vast majority you know, 99% of the the meats produced in this country are produced by large industrial uh, operations that uh, that don't uh, that small farmers you know, they don't support small farmers really, right, and right. so it's very difficult for there's a lot of barriers for small farmers to be able to succeed, and so we saw working as a cooperative with other farmers as a way to start to break down some of those barriers for farmers and help farmers succeed and make it easier for customers to to get these kinds of products and so some of the things that we do as a co-op are um, we go out and we promote our message tell our story and help customers learn about what these farmers are doing uh, mm -hmm. we also uh, help farmers uh, you know, we have technical, we have people on staff that go out and train farmers on how to improve their production techniques, how to become more efficient on their farms. Uh, we do things like, you know, farmer, like our chicken farmers use non-GMO feed, and we actually provide capital to those farmers to make it easier for them to expand their operations. Uh, so we help them cash flow some of their inputs. And so we're doing all kinds of things along the value chain, along the, the supply chain, between the farmer and the customer that make it easier for the for customers to learn about and get these products while also making it easier for the farmers to succeed in their farm business. Yeah, so. sounds, sounds great. Uh, you, you're um, expanding a sustainable way of farming and you're also uh, in the process you are teaching people, farmers, to survive, to live off their work instead of, you know, barely. Yeah. And um, not only that, but you also take care of the 
the the earth in this way uh, in a sustainable manner, which uh, a lot of farmers have lost that knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great, great uh, standard. Uh, and um, one could argue that a lot of that would be very difficult if the internet didn't exist, right? Absolutely, yeah. As you were saying that, I started thinking that you know one of the things that we do differently is in most you know agriculture over the past seventy-five to hundred years has been increasingly focused on uh, least cost production models, which means like produce the chicken or the carrot or the tomato or the, the cow as cheaply as possible, right? And so what happens when they do that is you, you sacrifice all kinds of things for the sake of having the cheapest food you can possibly produce. And, and that includes the environment, animal welfare, farmer welfare, health for the customer. And so, you know, we don't want to, we, we want to prioritize those things. We want to prioritize creating better soils. We want to prioritize having a healthier product that customers, um, that, you know, that benefits our customers, that tastes better. Uh, and we want to prioritize, you know, farmers making a living wage doing this. And so, um, and that would not be possible if we had to go through the commodity market or, yeah. Our only option was trying to go through, um, you know, a, a grocery store chain, and being able to use the internet to connect directly with customers that are looking for this kind of product is a real game changer for, for, um, for I mean, all kinds of businesses, but certainly for the farmers that we work with, it makes it possible for them to be able to do this. Right, right. So. Uh... You, you have farmers all over the country, right? Can you tell us where they are uh, located? Now that this matters, just to explain sure. how widespread your operation is. Sure. So just a little bit, you know, a background on when we started. So Grassroots started in 2014. And, um, you know, we started from the beginning, we, from the very beginning, we partnered with a wonderful uh, nonprofit. It's based out of Arkansas called Heifer International. Heifers mm -hmm. had a, uh, a, uh, presence in the U.S. for 75 years now. Uh, they've also, they, they do a lot of their work and they're known mostly for the international work, but they partnered with grassroots farmers uh, to, to help set up this value chain and, and provide the support we're providing for the farmers in the, or sort of seed that, that business model. And, uh, and so, you know, the initial group of farmers that started this in partnership with Heifer were, um, were based out of Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And as we have you know, been able to grow our customer base, it's been exciting to bring on more farmers. And so now this year we'll work with somewhere between 30 and 40 farmers. And uh, we've expanded to farmers. We have some in southern Missouri. Uh, we have some in, uh, in, in western Oregon some beef farmers in Western Oregon. We have some in North Carolina, some beef, some grass-fed beef farmers. Uh, we have some poultry farmers we work with in Texas and then some in Kentucky. And so we are you know, slowly expanding geographically to work with um, a, other groups of farmers uh, that are meeting our standards and are facing the same kinds of challenges that, that the original grassroots farmers were, were facing. And, um, and so it's exciting to be uh, to start to work with a broader group of farmers. And uh, another thing to note is that 
everything that we sell is it has the grassroots label on it, but we are very committed to this going back to my my days working at uh, Al Forno, the restaurant in the Northeast that really impacted me. We care deeply about transparency and traceability. And so every single package that you get has a farm of origin stamp on it. You know exactly what farm that came from. And that's a, um, that's a really important part, important thing to me and the rest of the, the organization is really trying to, to educate customers on knowing your farmer, knowing where it came from, so that uh, you, know, you can help you know, learn more about your products and have more trust in, in what you're getting. Right, right. Um, so are your farmers, your local farmers, do they sell locally as well or just through your organization? <laughs> It depends. I mean, some sell just through grassroots. Uh, some sell, you know, uh, might go to a farmer's market. And what we do, what we found is that in the beginning, farmers were selling a bit through the farmer's market and a bit through grassroots. But as grassroots has been able to grow demand, um, you know, find more customers, uh, attract more customers, we've um, we've seen more farmers transitioning to selling more products through grassroots. And so um, it's that's a exciting development. And one of the things that's different about grassroots is that we are farmer owned and managed. And so uh, it's not like they are selling to a grocery store chain that could go out and find someone else who's going to be a lot cheaper. You know, this is an organization that's sort of uh, farmer forward. You know, we're thinking about farmers, um, you know, a lot and care about making sure farmers are, um, you know, making a livelihood and have security in doing this. And so the way it's organized and governed, this business is very different in how it prioritizes um, our relationships with farmers and other you know, partners in general. Great, great. Are you open to accept more farmers? We what are, actually. Yeah. What, are the re what are requirements? I, I know one of my friends runs a mostly uh, duck, duck mm -hmm. and poultry farm. Mm -hmm. and typically sells to restaurants uh, locally, but maybe it wouldn't hurt to, uh, for you to talk to him. He does, uh, you know, uh, duck breast and foie mm -hmm. gras and, and things like that. So that might be something. So I'll, uh, you know, once the show is over, I'll connect the two of you. In the sure. Second. Yeah. yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, we actually don't have any duck farmers right now, and that's something that, uh, that I would be interested in discussing uh, for sure. You know, mm -hmm. we, um, yeah, and so and we have our we actually publish our standards on our website, so we're very transparent about that. Right. And um, and we work with the farmers to make sure. Like one thing that's very unique about our chicken production and turkey uh, is that our chickens are. You know, you've heard of the term free range, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, well, free range can mean a lot of different things. It can simply yeah. be a chicken house with a hole knocked into the side of it and a dirt run around the outside of the chicken house. And um, in a lot of cases, the chickens don't go outside. And if they do, they're not on fresh grass. Right. Uh, and what grassroots farmers do is we actually have mobile pens that are on pasture that get moved every single day to fresh pasture. And so that makes for a much healthier bird, much better flavor. They get fresh grass every single day. You don't have to use things like antibiotics and, and it's better for the soil and a better farming environment too. So right. I've um, seen that um, done at White Oak Farms in, um, mm -hmm. in Georgia. I, okay. I visited their farm. We, we interviewed them a couple of years ago. Uh, quite impressive, yes. Uh, yeah. Joe Salat and uh, Solid Dad. 
Yeah, seven, he did. Right? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, Mark and I have been following this whole movement. I mean, I don't know if you remember or you know, but I'm a chef by trade. So uh -huh. yeah. I've yes, also uh, been supporting all the uh, kind of local food and all that. So mm -hmm. tell us about your quality standards. What do you uh, expect and require from your farmers to follow? What kind of rules? Like sure. you mentioned, non-GMO. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, we, we have our, our standards are published on our site. And so those are, we require all the farmers to meet those standards. The, the beef is 100% grass fed and finished. No grain ever. Um, you know, they, they hay and they eat grass. And, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, I think that's really, speaking of, so you come from, you're from France. I think that's yeah. really where you get some really interesting terroir in yeah. the, uh, in the meats, um, on the grass fed side, uh, the grass fed beef side, especially, uh, you also get that really across the spectrum, all of our animals, but definitely on the grass fed beef and then also on the pork side. So the pork, you know, uh, I mean, a consistent theme for all of our, all of our animals is, um, instead of using a stationary confinement model, which is the majority yeah. of the industrial meat, the majority of the meat in the grocery store is raised in, um, you know, confinement operations where they are trying to produce it as cheaply as possible. And instead of um, moving the animals to fresh pasture, they are giving them antibiotics and, you know, uh, things to, that to keep them uh, healthy when in an environment they really don't, don't thrive in. Yeah. And growth our, hormones. And growth. Yeah. They're trying to grow as fast as possible, as cheaply as possible. And as you know, less late, you know, the least amount of labor with, you know, our farmers, when you go to a grassroots farm, the animals are always on the move. And so uh, the cattle are being moved, you know, once or twice a day to fresh grass. And so what that does is it mimics the patterns you see in nature of herbivores moving across um, the plains and, uh, and you end up with, uh, you know, better quality, better selection for the animals. You don't get overgrazing and you get nice long rest periods that allow the, the soils to, to thrive. And then uh, on the pork side, we're actually, we're ranging our pigs in a mix of pasture and forest. And, um, and they are also moving every, you know, once a week typically to a new area of forest or pasture. And one of the great things about ranging the pigs in the forest is that they get access to all kinds of nuts and berries that they really love to eat. So acorns, hickory nuts, muscadine grapes, uh, pawpaws, like all these different fruits and, and nuts that are really healthy for the animal and produce unique flavor profiles. Um, we just recently did a study on, uh, we sent some, uh, some of our pork to a lab to have the omega-3 fatty acid uh, ratio uh, uh, sampled and tested. And the typical grocery store uh, pork has about, I think it was 70 milligrams of omega-3s. And you know, I'm not sure what the sample size was there, but ours, that same sample size, ours had 700 milligrams. Uh, omega three, so a much, like a you know ten times higher omega three fatty acid content in in the same sample size. And right. At this point, we probably should uh, remind our listeners that omega trees are the healthier type of fats that our brain functions on, and it's not inflammatory. Whereby the omega six are inflammatory and tends to malfunction with the brain so to speak, you know, and so uh, that's why 
our ways and we always recommend uh, grass-fed, grass-finished or free-range because typically the animals meat contain a lot more omega-3s than uh, regular industrial meat. Yeah, thanks for adding that. That's a really important thing to highlight there. So um, yeah. let's talk about uh, the way you sustain your land. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. What techniques so, are you using? And, um, uh, you know, you mentioned some of it already. And, uh, sure. So the same techniques we use to keep our animals healthy and to create a better working environment for the farmers uh, and creates healthier food, better tasting food. Also, uh, we get this sort of the magic of it all. There's a symbiotic relationship going on between the animals and the land that, uh, and the, the, the consumer, you know, the people that eat the product. So there's this sort of a symbiosis across this whole system here where we're not only making people health healthier, creating a better environment for the animals, better environment for the farmers, but we're also improving the quality of the soil. Um, so to give you an example, we have, you know, we've tested fields on our pasture that when we took over the farm, um, were, had an organic matter, which is, the organic matter is a, basically the hummus in the soil that holds water and nutrients. And the more of that you have, uh, the better the quality of the soil. So when it rains, it'll hold more water. Um, when uh, you know it's uh, the it's a better seed bed. It's a better you know the, the plants thrive a lot better, and it creates healthier plants that will make the animals healthier. Right? Yes. And so one of the uh, and it also it sequesters carbon. The more uh, organic matter you have in the soil, the more carbon that soil can pull out of the air. Right. So right. Actually, let's, let's, let's address that issue because um, we're getting a lot of complaints from the vegan side of things uh, about saying that beef is uh, extremely detrimental to the environment. Mm -hmm. Explain how your way of raising your animals is actually beneficial to the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, we actually have a blog post on our site where we publish this, uh, like these soil tests that show the improvement in the organic matter. And the, uh, uh, so we were able to take a, uh, just one pasture that we sampled, the organic matter went from 1.9% to almost four, like 3.9% organic matter. Now, one way to show that that's uh, improving the quality of the soil and how that uh, impacts the environment is that for every percent organic matter increase you make in the soil in an acre of soil that soil will hold 20,000 more gallons of water when it rains right and so that particular acre is holding 40,000 more gallons of water because of the farming practices we've used to improve the soil so that's preventing runoff that's you know that's keeping uh helping deter droughts, it's holding soil, preventing erosion, all kinds of things that uh, you would not have in your traditional confinement production models where you end up with a, um, you know, a bunch of animals confined in one location where you have a concentration of manure and uh, you end up with a, a waste problem versus improving fertility. So. Yes, yes. Now, please address the issue of the because we are bombarded with these um, 
global warming and blah, 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 uh, can address the issue of the CO2 capture so that you can actually justify your way of growing animals in being beneficial to the environment in general, global environment. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's see here. I have a, I was looking at the stat here. Um, so actually in France, uh, just bring up France again, there's a, an initiative, the, the, French, the French Ministry of Agriculture has an initiative called the 4 per 1000 program. All right. And what they are promoting is that um, if the across, across the globe, on average, we could increase the organic matter by 0.4% per year, that would halt CO2, uh, the annual increase in CO2. Right. right. And to put that in perspective, on our farm, you know, we have increased it by 37%. Per year, so I mean, we are, you know, like we have made enormous. Like, I think that there's a, I mean, they have the research to support this, and this is not, you know, some, uh, you know, liberal organization. This is the, you know, the Ministry of Agriculture in France promoting this, and they have the science to back this up, and we're showing that agricultural practices that we're using are, you know, far outpacing the benchmark they set. And, you know, uh, they are, um, you know, so I think that this is absolutely an attainable goal with the kind of production practices that we're using here. Now, you know, to go a little further down this track of, you know, should we eat meat or should we not eat meat? All right. Um, so, you know, I am all for eating less meat, but better quality meat. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, the average you know, U.S. consumer eats about 222 pounds of meat a year. Yeah. Oh. So we think that's too much, right? <laughs> but yeah, exactly. That's a lot of meat. Uh, yeah. But we think that animals. I mean, our fertility uh, comes from animals. I mean, when you separate animals from the farm, and when we did that, that's what happened. So we separate animals from the farm and ended up with a confinement operation that created a waste problem and then a yeah. lack of fertility issue that is being addressed by uh, chemical fertilizers. And so you created two distinct problems, one lack of fertility, the other is a waste problem by separating animals from the farm. So animals have a very important part in helping maintain and actually improve the quality of our soils. Right, right. I think we may be in trouble here. You used the L word. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can you can edit that out. <laughs> we um, no, we'll keep it because we like to. Um, Mark and I like to poke the L type of people uh, got it. as All well. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're not necessarily against them. We're definitely against some of the. Um, you know, policies and how they uh, see the end of the world as, you know, as we speak. And I guess yeah. you heard about the, the new Green Deal. Yeah. Do you have an opinion yeah. on that? I don't, you know, I, I just, so the way I look at things is I see the world as, I mean, I love the, I'm, I'm very excited about the switch from uh, sustainable to regenerative yes uh, I think we can make the world a better place and I think that uh, I feel pretty strongly that uh, farmers have an important 
part in that. And yeah. I think that it'll make consumer, you know, make customers a lot healthier. Uh, yeah. And I think that um, there's a, uh, I love the idea of this not being a, um, you know, a government assisted program. And instead, this is us going direct, this is really solving two distinct problems. One is, you know, farmers are many, many more than two, actually. Uh, but you got customers that are looking to be healthier, looking for better quality products. And you look, uh, you got farmers who are going to make a living farming in a way that's, you know, I've never met a farmer who wants to exploit the environment and their animals. They just are just, they're locked into a system that, that, sort of forces them to do that or they go out of business. And so we're working to help solve connect you know, solve those two problems by connecting the farmer and the customer. And so it's a really exciting um, you know, like a market based approach that to me is um, is not not top down, it's bottom up. And that's why we have the name grassroots. Right. And what's impressive to me is that a young person like you would actually go out and encourage other young farmers to follow that path. Because a lot of um, young farmers are, I, I feel, um, stop from going into farming because they don't want to be part of that industrial system. Yeah. They just want to take care of the, 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 the land and the animals and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I thank you for doing the work you do because that's extremely important for us, for all of us. All of yeah. us and uh, farmers and uh, pe us people as in general human beings. Yeah, um, there's a reason why. I mean, I, I, this is an important stat I think for everyone to know. But the average age of a farmer is 60 years old today, and so yeah. who's going to be raising our food in 10, 15, 20 years? And yeah. so yeah. that's something that uh, you're right. Young people do not want to get into industrial agriculture because it's not aligned with their values, and and it's a you know it's a model that is increasingly becoming, uh, you know, people just don't want to support that. Uh, there's, right. um, we, we want to make the world a better place, not um, exploit the world for the cheapest meat possible. So. Right, right. Um, speaking of that, um, if you may allow me to be the devil's sure. advocate for a while. Bring it up. You know, I'm I'm also a nutritionist, and when I meet clients, and I tell them this is the kind of the quality of products you should be eating to stay to become more healthy or to stay healthy, and they say, "Well, this is way too expensive. I can't afford this." Um, so some people will think of the kind of quality you provide is more elitist for like yeah. uh, you know middle class, upper middle class. I can't afford this kind of meat. What do you say to that? So one of the first things I say is, do you know how much a Snickers bar costs per pound? Yeah, no. Go ahead. $11, $11 a pound. You can buy grass-fed at grassrootscoop.com for uh, less than that, for less than $10 a pound, right? So I good, think, yeah. I mean, so we start point. there, all right? It's a matter of how you prioritize how you spend your money, right? There's yeah. a lot more nutritional value in that. Um, it also comes down to people cooking. Like you, you know, it's uh, sure the nice thing about Snickers bars, you can just open it and eat it. Um, yeah. But uh, people have to be able to cook. You can take a whole chicken and get uh, four or five, six meals out of it, depending on you know what you do with it. Uh, and I think that uh, I'm I'm a real advocate for buying less meat and better quality. I think mm -hmm. there's uh, you know one of the things that 
I think Michael Pollan put the, uh, was the first person that put this information together. And in 1960, the average American spent 17.5% of their income on, uh, on food. Yep, and 5.2% uh, and on healthcare. Today, that's totally flipped. We spend 6.4% of our income on health, and, oh, sorry, on food, and 18.8% on healthcare. And so, in my opinion, I think there's a, I mean, it's a correlation. I mean, you know, but it seems like a, you know, if people would spend much, you know, spend more of their, their budget on food, I think they'd be a lot healthier and have an opportunity to spend less on healthcare and live a much more pleasurable life too, I think. Yeah, so. let me tell you a little story. I wrote a book because I, I thought that might be a, a good subject, but I wrote a book say uh, how to heal, uh, how to eat uh, healthy French cuisine for less than $10 a day uh -huh. because a friend of mine challenged me and yep. I was also replying to some of my clients complaining mm -hmm. about the cost of healthy eating, right? And, uh, and I sent my son out to check out the, the cost of fast food. Mm -hmm. You can easily, if you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner in fast food, you can easily spend $15 yeah, sure. in, yep. in garbage food. I yep. don't even call it food. I shouldn't even call it food. Um, not to mention all the packaging and all the, the yep. waste you know, yep. generated and, uh, and the plastic and the paper and all of that. So you consider that, that you're actually paying all this money to eat garbage and for $10 a day, I can prove it to you and actually put all the numbers together yep. um, that you can eat for less than $10 a day, fresh, healthy food, right? Yeah. Can't sell yep. the book. Cannot <laughs> sell the book. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a I mean, I swear to you, uh, the book came out what five five years ago. If mm -hmm. I sold maybe ten in five mm -hmm. years, you know, and like, and this is a cultural thing. Uh, this in this country, people have been brainwashed to buy convenience. Yeah, everything's convenience. Everything's processed. Everything is supposedly cheap. Mm -hmm. Short term, but long term. That's right. You know, like a friend of mine told me, uh, you know, when, when you compare the costs, for example, uh, you know, someone would complain that, you know, using my services is expensive. And they say, have you, have you ever costed out cancer lately? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, right. So yeah. you have to completely flip around your yeah. perspective from, is it more important to spend a little more money on healthy food to keep you healthy and eat good quality food. Yep. I'm a chef, so all my recipes are not just healthy. They they taste great. You know, yep. most yep. of them are French recipes. Yep. Um, because my, my position is that if the diet, if I put a client on a diet and the diet is boring and bland and, you know, uh, they will never continue. So I have to offer them good quality recipes and tasty. Mm -hmm. And they can they can brag, you know, I'm eating French healthy food, and, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But uh, it's amazing how this constant chase to the bottom, to mm -hmm. the cheaper price, when you pay, um, I don't know, a few dollars for a bag of sheep, there's nothing but yep. bad for you. 
mm-hmm. uh, instead of eating uh, a fruit, for example, just keep it simple, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, people have been so brainwashed into doing that that they, when you when you expose them to another way of looking at it, they are like they're completely lost. I mean, literally, they're like they look at you like you're speaking a, a complete uh, different language. Yeah. I had a nice lady as a customer. She had all sorts of health issues. She was eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could I could not convince her to eat even one apple a day. Wow. Wow. She just couldn't do it. Not even I said, with a burger, why don't you order a salad? It'll be a step in the right direction. Sure. She, she couldn't she couldn't do yeah. it. And she was yeah. a very nice lady and I just I had to yeah. give up on her because I just you know she's wasting our money and I'm wasting my time. But yeah. this yeah. is what we're talking about. So you and I and Mark and all those farmers out there are doing our best to provide information and quality products to people and people should keep in mind that yes good quality food costs a little more but in the end it costs a lot less than doctors hospitals and medication right that's right yep how many people are on multiple medications oh it seems like everybody these days right i mean and and it and they think it's normal yep that's right they think it's normal yeah. What normal is, is to be, you know, like Mark and I, you know, I don't remember, Mark, are you uh, over 60? I don't want to. 21 and a bit. Okay. okay. It's just a very well, big bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, people like me, let's just not um, put Mark in the picture here. That is 66 years old and very good health. Yeah. And yep. I, do, I do it mostly through nutrition. I do exercise a little bit, but not really that much considering um, the average American uh, tendency to, you know, run and, and spend a lot of money on health clubs. It's it's a whole concept, garbage in, garbage out. If you put yeah. garbage in your body, you're going to feel like garbage. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it we- doesn't matter how many hours in the gym you spend. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if your intake of food is not the high quality, mm-hmm. low amount, that's another issue which you address already is it's better to have higher quality but mm-hmm. smaller amount of food of higher nutrition yeah. and not, not um, how do you say, um, overwork your system, your body. Yeah. Yeah. Because people will feed themselves or stuff themselves with poor quality food with no nutritional value. Yeah. And they keep on eating all day because their body say, hey, you, you, you stopped me, but you didn't feed me. I'm mm-hmm. not, yep. you know. So they constantly go up and down and eat snacks and, you know, to keep their level, energy level up and, yep. and then spend all their money and, and gyms and all that, which is ridiculous. But mm-hmm. yep. consider starting from the beginning, which is the food we eat. Yep. And, and do basically I call it prevention medicine, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you, well, you pay a little more in your food as medicine mm-hmm. and you end up paying a lot less. I don't, I don't have any medication. I yeah. don't take anything. Wow. That's amazing. That's I pass my, all my health tests every year, you know, with Medicare with not a, not a problem. Yeah. But it's so difficult to convince people to look at it this way. Um, mm-hmm. As an American, what's your, what's your point of view on that? 
Yeah. Well, I think that, yeah, it's, so the customers, a, a large portion of the customers of grassroots are, have had some kind of health scare or have had someone in the family have had a health scare and they have seen the light, you know, that food is, you know, what you eat matters, right, to your okay. health. Uh, we also have customers who see what you eat matters to, um, you know, the environment. You know, there's all kinds of things. You know, the, the lowest cost meat or food, you know, food production model externalizes all these things, right? Health, uh, the environment, animal welfare, whatever it might be. Uh, and so it's, you know, we're finding that customers are seeing that, um, you know, have had some experience and then what really hooks them, on top of that is the flavor is, you know, uh, there's actually been interesting research around, you know, in healthier, healthier um, uh, vegetables and meats uh, that have more nutrition, have more flavonoids. And so are, you know, they actually taste better, uh, have more flavor. Uh, I was looking at a customer uh, comment yesterday talking about how they never used to eat chicken uh, drumsticks before and they uh, they got some of ours and they were just amazed that all you had to do was add salt and pepper to it right so you save right. some money there on a, on you know having to do something fancy with it right you can just roast it in the oven with salt and pepper um, and so you know we've we found that that there is you know we're seeing customers I mean the health uh, I mean Americans are not a healthy <laughs> we're not a healthy country uh, and, you know, one of the reasons why is that, you know, our grandparents spent more on food than we do <laughs> yeah. as a portion of, of income. And that's a, uh, that's showing up. It's catching up with us as a country and healthcare costs are skyrocketing. Uh, welfare, you know, people's welfare is, you know, is going down and, and they are looking at exercise, but also increasingly healthier foods to, um, to help address that. And, you know, one of the things that we like to say is it's not just what you eat, but what, what you eat eats that matters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So especially in the, in the, the livestock side, it's really important to, uh, to make sure that, you know, the chickens or the chicken or the turkey or the pork, you know, those are animals that are being raised and, and that are eating things that make them really healthy. And that corresponds with a much uh, healthier you know, pork chop that tastes a lot better too. Right. So there's way you don't have to use antibiotics like the commercial operation. That's, right. that's right. right. Yeah. That's another whole different, I mean, 80% of the antibiotics used in the U S are for livestock production. Yes, and yeah. so, and that's just to make them grow faster and live in squalid conditions, right? Which is terrible. Yeah, yes. We also forgot to mention the uh, the consequences on the water table of the pollution created by these operations. Right? Oh yes, yeah, the, the runoff in the Gulf, and yes, it's uh, it's absolutely terrible. And so I think right. there's there's a lot of problems with our agricultural system. And uh, frankly, a lot of the things that are being promoted, like in the, you know, the uh, uh, clean meat pro, you know, area are hinge on um, um, certain crop productions that are going to you know, increase that dead zone in the Gulf. Hmm. And, and so we're not, you know, we're not saying I mean, we're still, you know, we're, advocating for less meat, but we see meat as being able to uh, or, you know, properly raise livestock as a way to, to help reduce that erosion and, and uh, that runoff that's causing pollution.
Now waters. Okay. Um, I think we've addressed uh, the um, pollution <laughs> issue and the environment issues. So uh, tell us about your line of product. Uh, you know, what do you offer? How? Let's start with what do you offer, and then uh, I'll move on to the next question. Sure. So we offer at you can, grassrootscoop.com. Um, you can order uh, pasture-raised chicken, pasture-raised turkey. Uh, we have all different kinds of cuts, um, and we also do forest and pasture-raised pork and grass-fed beef. And uh, we offer seasonally, we have lamb, grass-fed lamb available too, and all various kinds of cuts. You can order what you want, how you want, and uh, it's not a subscription. It's a, uh, you, know, you get what you want when you want it, and it's shipped directly to your house. Um, and... Uh, you know, it's all frozen, uh, frozen at the peak of freshness, which, you know, we do, we, we really take that very seriously. And, uh, um, yeah, just really great tasting meats that, that uh, don't take a lot of seasoning. Right, right, right. Uh, another issue which uh, I've seen with my own eyes when I went to visit uh, White Oak Farms is how do you process your animals? So we actually have our own processing facility uh, that the majority of our animals go through. Uh, we do work with one processor out in the, um, uh, on the West Coast with the beef farmers in Oregon we work with. Uh, but uh, the majority, all of our poultry go through a cooperatively owned processing facility. And um, then the same thing, the majority of the pork and beef do too. And it's something we take extremely seriously. Uh, for for years, we actually processed. Uh, you know, I, we processed our own animal, our own poultry, and um, we actually have farmers that go and spend time working in the processing plant. Um, and it's a uh, you know, we we take animal welfare extremely seriously from start to finish. There, where you know, we train um, the uh, the employees that work there are you know get to visit farms and understand you know what you know how committed we are to trying to create an, you know the best environment possible for the animals and we wanted that to translate into the most humane and um, uh, calm harvest experience possible at the at the end of the day for the animal so right so we actually okay. so we were able to con that's uh, controlled from start to finish and that's that's an important part of what we do Hmm. You you already mentioned that earlier, but uh, just to repeat, uh, how do we know where uh, our meat is coming from? So every single package that you get from Grassroots has a farm of origin stamp on it that allows you to trace it back to the individual farm. We also have a QR code on it that you can scan and you can learn more about uh, the whole journey of the animal from farm to fork. So you can learn which farm it was raised on, what day you know, it was processed, where it was processed, more about the processing facility. Uh, so we're, we're very committed to transparency and giving our customers uh, the, uh, the information they need to make an educated decision when they're, when they're buying our products. Okay. Do, you, uh, do you follow any kind of certification program? Or, um, I mean, uh, I understand you're not, I mean, some people might question that, but you're not USDA certified organic, uh, any other certification? So our feed is all certified GMO free. Okay. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, we have not found production standards that are as rigorous as ours. You know, we are actually more rigorous than, than the, um, the standards that exist out there, like USDA, uh, like the, 
the free range, for instance. Like you can put those things on your label, but that just means that they're, you know, that can mean so many different things. And so, you know, our approach with our customers is, um, and I think that's more important when you have a, uh, when you're sitting on the shelf of a grocery store or trying to go through a restaurant distributor. In our case, we're going directly to the customer and we want to, you know, whatever our customers want to know, we want to be able to give them access to. And, uh, and so that's, that's really where you know, we publish our standards on our website. We have um, you know, open farm days where customers can come tour farms and visit our farms uh, or even our processing facilities. We've had customers come and do that before. And so um, we take sort of a different approach that is more focused on developing a relationship with our customers and inviting them in to tell us what they want from us. What do they need to see from us to feel good about, to make an educated decision, I guess. Yeah. 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 Maybe one day I'll be one of those visitors. Yeah. You should come up. It's a great, uh, it's a great, we actually have a couple of pasture poultry farms in Hillsborough. So not too far from right. here. Right. Um, okay. Now I'm not just a chef. I'm also a geek. So one thing that really intrigued me, and this is the first time I've ever seen this, is that you use the blockchain technology mm -hmm. to track your product. Uh, can you explain that in a maybe non-geek way? <laughs> okay, I'll do my best. Um, so I'm not, so, you know, I've said this a couple times, you know, we're very committed to transparency with our customers. And that's where we saw using blockchain technology as a way to help elevate that. And so the way we use that is to help tell that, um, create that journey from farm to fork that allows a customer to scan that QR code and trace that journey of the chicken from uh, the farm to the processor to, you know, to their doorstep. And so what the blockchain technology is allowing us to do is it gives, you know, we're using an app, we partner with a company based out of the UK, actually called Provenance, and they have developed a technology that helps uh, uh, show transparency in a supply chain. And so we, uh, each member of that supply chain, the farmer, the processors, the aggregator, you know, the, like they have their own user interface. And uh, when a, a group of flock of chickens are, are going off to the processor, then that farmer goes on and, and you know, makes that entry saying that, yeah, we're taking these, this flock to the, the processor. When they receive it, the processor, the processor is logging onto their account and confirming that what the farmer has delivered has, uh, is, um, you know, matches up with what they received. And, and so it's, you know, what that does is each time that that's sort of that, that flock is passed on through the supply chain, there is a corresponding like peer-to-peer uh, -peer consensus moment where they are saying, yes, what happened? They're both confirming what happened here. And so what it, what, it doesn't seem like much, but it's very different than what, um, if you go into a grocery store, all you're, you're really having to trust that the front-facing brand is telling you the truth. Yeah. Uh, or in some cases, you know, you're just trusting the grocery store. Mm -hmm. um, in this situation, you have uh, each member of the supply chain creating, um, basically making their, their um, uh, like, uh, transportation log transparent to the customer. And you know, so the customer can have more detailed information that's not being uh, input by 
the front-facing brand, but by each member of that supply chain. So it really creates a different level of transparency and accountability uh, that you don't, you know, like if you go and buy a, an apple at the grocery store, like you might be lucky to find country of origin, right? right. Uh, let alone anything else. Same thing right. with a package of pork in the case. Like you right. can see USDA number that would trace back to one of the pro like the, the last processing facility, but there is no way to go any further back than that. And right. so we're using this technology to be able to give our customers the chance to trace all the way every single you know, package of chicken breast or a, a package of ground beef to trace that all the way across that chain uh, step by step in a way that is um, really unprecedented. Yeah. You know, per perhaps we should explain to our, to our listener that the blockchain cannot be altered. Yes, right. Yeah. Once that, so once that farmer and that processor make that data entry and it's confirmed and it matches up, then that can no longer be changed or altered by anybody. And so if there is a, um, um, you know, a dispute between those two, then, then that, you know, like we can't hide that. Right. And so there's a, it really sort of uh, creates a different level of accountability and, and, and traceability, transparency. So. I think it's fantastic. I think we, the the whole food, the whole food environment should be on the blockchain. Does yeah. that mean we can buy meat with bitcoins? Uh, not yet. No, we don't accept <laughs> bitcoins yet. But uh, we've talked about it though. Now, you know, we, the actually Heifer International, the uh, the the nonprofit we work closely with, uh, they are uh, they do accept donations in cryptocurrency, which is kind of cool. So yeah, uh, we don't accept cryptocurrencies yet. All right, all right. Well, I'm sure looking forward to when you're yeah. ready to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So um, I'll let Mark take over. Oh, the hard questions. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much of it. I mean, sort of, I made a few observations as we go through. Um, something I do want you to bring out is, you know, you've given us a lot of information. Where can people find more about you and where can they find the products? So grassroots co-op. So coop dot com, and are you on sort of social media? Do you? Uh... Yeah, under Grassroots Co-op on, um, you know, we're active on Instagram and, and Facebook, especially. Excellent, and, excellent. And it's uh, Grassroots with the Ness and Farms with the Ness, right? Yeah, yeah. Co-op, yeah. Okay, just yeah, just making sure. Sure. Yeah. Good picture. I want to come back and address one thing, and that's the price. You know, Alan mentioned it earlier that people complain that. Um, high quality meat is uh, often comes with a high price but it seems to me the way you're working is you're cutting out most of the middlemen in the chain yeah that's right so I'm guessing the customer actually gets much better value so I what we are doing is we have we're giving we're trying to maximize what we give back to the farmer so that farmers can make a living at a smaller scale using more uh, you know, it's just going to be more labor intensive production models. Mm. So one of the challenges, you know, so there's a lot of e-commerce companies out there that are taking a uh, more traditional, like razors, right? They're taking razors that are produced in the typical razor factory and cutting out the grocery stores or the, the middlemen and selling that same razor for a dollar, right? Dollar yeah. you know. And so what we're doing is we're going all, we're actually reconstructing the entire supply chain. Uh, and so we don't have, you know, uh, Dollar Shave Club is able to 
um, sell a razor for a dollar uh, because they are working with suppliers that are producing on the industrial scale. Uh, we are not working with farmers that are producing on the industrial scale. We're working with farmers that are raising flocks of, uh, you know, 500 chickens versus their, um, you know, the Ty uh, you know, a Tyson farmer that's raising uh, a flock of 25 to 40,000 chickens, right? Uh, we process, you know, uh, you know, Gosh, one uh, like we'll process a couple thousand chickens in a in a day. They will process hundreds of thousands of chickens in a day, right? So one of the challenges that we face on our we just have a higher cost of production because we aren't cutting. We are cutting at the middleman, but we're also not. We're we're being uncompromising on our standards and our commitment to the quality of the animal, the quality of the environment, and um, the, the health of the product. So that help explain I mean, a bit of that? that? That is kind of a trend that I see out there. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Cut out the middleman, it makes it cheaper. And so I think it's, it's cheaper than, um, the, if, if, so one of the reasons why we haven't been able to get our product into Whole Foods is that uh, we just, Whole Foods is, doesn't feel like they can charge enough to be able to sell this. Yeah. And, you know, that's one reason why it's, it's a shame because you end up in a situation where they won't have um, the quality of the products in their store. If you go into a Whole Foods in the entire Southwest region, you'll be lucky to find anything above uh, a gap to pork standard. And what that means is it's essentially a factory raised hog. And that's because they, uh, you know, they're, they're def they built this brand around high quality, but um, and uncompromising standards. But they really do compromise a lot of standards yeah. because they don't want to charge too much for their products. They, they don't want to be labeled as whole paycheck anymore. And, yeah, yeah. And and uh, now that Amazon owns them, it's going right. to get worse. That's right. Yeah. And. And so we just, we've taken a philosophy that we don't want to compromise and we believe that it works still. We're yeah. still, we can still sell ground beef cheaper than a Snickers bar per pound. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, the, the other thing you mentioned was that you, um, you provide training. Is that training to farmers and to the general public or who? So we provide training to the farmers. So we're helping farmers uh, get better at, you know, raising their chickens or in some cases they may add a new enterprise to their farm or, Folks who are, um, I mentioned Heifer International earlier, we work with them. They have actually a training program where young uh, folks that are interested in farming can come and spend time working on a farm to learn more about these production practices and then uh, potentially uh, become a farmer for grassroots. And so we're helping upstart farmers uh, get into this and we're helping farmers that are already um, you know, existing farmers uh, either change their production practices, improve them, or maybe add a new enterprise. Excellent. So do you also provide education for the consumer? So we do through our blog and other, and one of the things that we're working on for the very near future is um, the having a, um, a, like a farm center where customers can come and you know, stay, uh, stay for a weekend, stay for a couple of days, bring their kids, 
um, and see these productions in, in practice uh, and eat the food, learn more about you know the health benefits, learn about cooking. And so that's something yeah, that's coming here. Wild Oak, Wild Oak Farms is already doing something like this. Where they, uh, they have a restaurant which used to be only for employees, but since all the products are grown on the farm, on the weekend, they allow people to come in and eat at the yeah. restaurant so they can taste the good food and, of course, buy the products right there at the yeah. store. Yeah. And yeah. So they recently started offering uh, lodging. So they have these uh, uh, sort of mini trailers where, you know, uh, you yeah. can stay, you know, one, two people. Uh, you can have two trailers for that. And That's it great. allows people to walk around. Actually, I stayed there a week about uh, two years ago, and uh, wow. I stepped I stepped out of my my uh, lodging, and there was chicken running around. There was That's you know uh, pigs and everything. I mean, yeah. right around uh, right there, just as That's I opened fabulous. my door, That's and fabulous. I uh, <clears throat> I had a couple of kitty cats that adopted me. I think <laughs> <laughs> they enjoy eating the quiche uh, made by the. By the restaurant, so I fed them quiche for. That's for great. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So it it is a great idea. It allows customers to um, some of them are old enough. For example, I would say grandparents to bring their grandkids and expose them yeah. to what real food is about. Because yeah. you know, I used to I used to teach in culinary school, and it was amazing how many of my students didn't have a clue where the meat was coming from. And they yes. look at the live chicken and it's like, oh, so that's where a chicken breast is coming from. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Same yeah. with the meat, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, it's not something that anyone would want to see, um, you know, processing an animal, which oak farms allow me to see. Um, sure. and, and typically they don't show that to customers unless they really ask for it. But, mm -hmm. um, it, you know, for any chef out there, it should be required. You yeah. know, for them yeah. to actually oh, yeah. see how the food is served to their customers is handled and processed. Yeah, absolutely. Super. I mean, just a sort of a left field question. How do you guarantee sort of the GMO um, or no GMO in your, in your foods? So that is going through a certifying body in that situation. So, and we, we work closely with our feed mill that um, has direct relationships with the farmers that they're sourcing their, their feeds from. And so it's a, it's actually a, a Mennonite group of farmers in Southern Missouri. So it's pretty close, you know, it's not like it's coming from international. Uh, it is a, um, a fairly local to us, but uh, we are in that case relying on the, um, the certifying body. Then we do we do lots of different feed tests to make sure that what we're getting is what we think we're we're getting. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, I I understand that you only use American suppliers, right? No, yes. no products from China, from or whatever. Yes. Uh, yeah. And that is a that is a great hmm. way to support American providers, well, farmers, yes. other farmers, farmers that provide food for your animals. Yeah. 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 Everything that we, all of our farmers are based in the U S they're all, um, and all the, the feed that we use comes from, you know, from the Midwest. And so, yes, we're hundred percent U S based. That's great. That's great. You support local, um, food system. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So Cody, you've given us a lot of information. As I've said, is there anything that we should have asked and didn't? 
No, I think you, you, you went through it all pretty much. So it was a great conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Excellent. Alan, I think it's time to do the clothes. Oh, it's time for my funny clothes, right? Yes. <laughs> so here we go. Thank you again, Cody, for being on the local paleo show. And as we say in Texas, a votre santé, y'all. <laughs> hear Thank that you. everywhere in Texas? Yeah. Everywhere. 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 <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me.